0: Welcome to Sacrifice to Success podcast. My name is David Weaver, and I am the owner of the Forgotten Art Project. My mission is to help others create freedom in every aspect of their life. In this season of the podcast, we are talking life, business, and what makes you feel alive. We are speaking with business owners and entrepreneurs from all over, hearing about the sacrifices, the learnings, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, and the successes they have had in life and business. These are their stories. All right. Welcome everybody. I am excited to have a guest with me today named Curtis Minder. Welcome Curtis. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, David.
0: Yeah. So let's just start where we start with everyone, which is who are you and what do you do?
1: Uh, My current Job title is the CEO of GroupSense. I was one of the founders of the company. Uh, I'm also pretty well known in the ransomware response space as one of the top ransomware negotiators.
0: Nice. Okay. Cool. And how long have you had those companies?
1: Uh, I made the questionable life choice to start my own business. <laughs> like uh, it, made, it almost eight years ago now since I started GroupSense.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. So I know it's kind of an interesting question, right? I like how you rephrase it because I said, who are you and what do you do, which are very different things. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Can
1: be. It depends on your job, I guess. They can be different things.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say that, you, yeah, what you do for work and your passion is still not who you are. Um, but anyways, tell, tell us a little bit more about you. I know we were just talking beforehand. I know you're in Colorado right now and you love motorcycling. What else?
1: Uh, so I, you know, I started my career in, um, at a very young age in, in central Illinois. So I'm a Midwesterner, not, not Chicago, like corn and soybeans, Illinois. (laughs) And, uh, and then eventually moved to Chicago for my professional career. Most of my career I was in, um, I was in sort of operational security roles where I was Mm hands-on, uh, all my hobbies have always been, uh, I've, I've always been a runner, um, I have always been into motorcycles for, for my, my entire adult life. I've had many, many, many motorcycles, <laughs> uh, arguably too many. And, um, and so those are my, my, were my two lifelong passions in the last 12 years or so. I, I I've expanded the running to, to a lot more, uh, other kinds of fitness, uh, and wellness. Um, part of that is just, you know, trying to keep, trying to keep sane running a business, which is a very stressful thing. So yeah. Um, focusing on my own, you know, well-being is is part of the, part of the balance, I guess. Um, I, like I said, I, I'm a motorcycle nerd. I ride my motorcycle cross-country every year, sometimes multiple times a year, and I usually camp off the back. Uh, so I, I have a tent that I strap to the back of the bike, and I pitch it along the way. And in the tech community, you know, a lot of the folks that go to DEFCON and Black Hat know me as the guy that shows up on a giant adventure bike, all sweaty in the desert. Uh, nice the motorcycle gear on.
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome
1: yeah
0: cool so uh let's yeah tell us so what what made you decide to well actually before we do that just because i'm curious what's like one of your favorite runs you've ever done and do you like to to just run for fun or do you like to do races
1: um i do i do both i i'm not a okay. big fan of 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 marathons um th- th- to me that's a, that's a little bit too long to really enjoy it too much. Um I can, I, I nice. can still enjoy a half marathon. That's decent. Okay. But if I kept it up to 10 or under miles uh, for a race like a, a a 10K is perfect for me. That's a perfect race to me. And cool. I do I do a lot of those um you know uh throughout the year depending on where I'm at. I travel a lot. So sometimes I'll actually just drop in on a race. So I'll be in Miami and they'll, I'll notice like a billboard or sort of a, a poster someplace about a race the next day and I'll just sign up and do it. Um Nice. So I don't know my favorite place. So I do a lot of trail running. Okay. Also, uh, and that to me is is just uh, it's it's magical. You can kind of pretend like there's somebody chasing you or a bear chasing you. I think it's really <laughs> exciting. You can like jump over trees and over water. and it's fun. It's fun. Um, yeah. And uh, so a lot of the trail running I've done has been epic. I mean, here in, in Colorado, the tra- the trails are amazing. There's this, there's a trail near my house called the Serpent Trail which mm-hmm. is 800 feet elevation gain in a mile and a half. And it just zigzags up this beautiful Red Rock Canyon. Oh, it's just amazing. I've trail run in Yosemite. That, mm. that, you know what? That probably wins. I'll just say, yeah. I've never been to Yosemite. It, just the mo- one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I've, I've done a fair amount of trail running there. And that's just, you know, it's you'll, you'll pass six, seven, eight waterfalls in a run, you know, and it's just amazing. It's amazing.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I did two, two last year that really stood out for me. Uh, one was I went with a friend, uh, you know, Mount Rainier up here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 So the wonderland trail is the like 90 something mile trail that goes all the way around it. And a friend of mine was doing it in three days. And so I ran the first leg, which was 34 miles with her. And that was the, the farthest I've ever done before. And it was like, yeah, it was awesome experience. So I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is long and this is tough, but you could yeah. do it, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I have a lot of respect for the distance, the the really ultra distance runners. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if I can do that. it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of tear on your body, man.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a lot of walking up hills though too. So, yeah, right. you know. <laughs> and then I also did the the Grand Canyon, which was super cool. Oh, Just so different than anything we have up here. You know, it was wild.
1: Yeah, I've done these. Um, I've done these. I don't know if you ever heard of vacation races, but there's a there's an organization that just does races in national parks, and I've done a handful okay. of those as well. Yeah, nice.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, that was a fun little tangent. Um, but <laughs> so, what made you decide to start your own business?
1: What was the original ideas. So, I I've been in tech um, in various roles for you know fifteen plus years, and the last company I worked for uh, had a successful IPO. And I made a little bit of capital out of that and wanted to repurpose it in a, in a way that was meaningful for my growth in, in life. And I had in front of me uh, some other opportunities to go basically redo what I just did at other companies, like you know, build a team, go through an IPO. But I was like, you know, I already did that. And while I probably learned something, um, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be revolutionary. <laughs> so yeah. uh, the other, And the other thing was, you know I've, I' I a couple companies that I worked for I got really lucky where the culture was amazing
0: yeah. and
1: the way those companies functioned because of that culture how effective they were uh, just stuck with me and the last couple companies I worked with it wasn't quite there and mm-hmm. I could tell the difference like I felt the difference so the idea that I could build that and and p- and pick who I worked with every day That believe it or not, that was one of the main reasons to to start something. Plus I had some, some ideas on the table that had, you know, some traction to them. Um, so that's, that's really the, the main reason just to challenge myself a little bit to see what I could do there, uh, on the business side. And then also, um, you know, pick, pick my team basically.
0: Yeah. That's a really cool spot to be in, to be, you know, to see that and then be able to make that kind of decision. Um, Do you, so, so what stood out, uh, like from a culture standpoint, what did you see and experience and then how have you brought that into what you're doing now?
1: That's a great question. I, I mean, you know, a lot of the culture is definitely, um, driven from the top down. So having a, a leadership team that, uh, not only sort of reinforces those things, but like lives by them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I. I've seen in companies where those two things were mismatched as well where like you had a core values but the, the leadership team didn't really embody those core values and uh, you can see how that doesn't play out well um you know one of the things that I, I recognized from previous leadership teams and what what was sort of flowing down to the to the regular staff was sort of lack of ego um mm. you know t- team first, uh, customer first outcomes first, right? Not not just let's not create things for the sake of creating things. let's actually solve real problems and uh, building that in and and taking the the um, self-promotion out of it mm-hmm. and that that's rare, but I, we do definitely we definitely have that culture of group sense. It was not easy to build that. <laughs> yeah, we made, we made mistakes. Um, but yeah, it's 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 sort of that egoless team first customer first, you know ethos.
0: Okay, cool. And you and for you, you felt like that just really created a dynamic environment that you you wanted to be a part of, and everybody felt like they could grow in their own space.
1: It's like a clear purpose, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a clear purpose, and and so when you when you have the purpose, you have a north star. You can you can guide everyone's you know sort of direction there, and also you can you can course correct behavior that steps outside of that in a more objective way. So, for example. You know, having the core values, and, and when someone steps outside of those, asking them to self-assess what they where they think they might be off, don't don't lead the witness. Let them kind of think about it and go, ah, I might have violated, I might have violated this one, you know, and then say, okay, well, yeah. how can we stop that from happening, right, moving forward? And uh, p- when people do that, when they sort of are self-aware and they're able to to be honest to themselves about what they what they could do better. Um, it's better than being punitive, like me going to them and like you screwed up, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah. It's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's that's such a good point because I think, in my opinion, I think that good leadership is is a lot of times coaching, which is what I do. And yeah. you're like, because in that example, example right there, you're asking them questions to help them, but they're still they still get the autonomy of like owning the thing, right. instead of like you said, you know, being punitive with it. And I think. I think that's huge. I think people, most people want to have that autonomy and they feel respected when they get spoken to in that way.
1: Yeah. And I also think, you know, the scale of, of or scaling our company, the scale of the, the company currently, you know, I, I don't have time to be a manager. Right. right? <laughs> that's part of creating a culture where I don't have to manage is, is essential to the success of the business. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, two fold, right? It's good for them, good for you, good for the companies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So how big are you guys now? How many people are on the team? We're
1: 40 something, low 40s, um, okay. and we we're pretty spread out. We've we've got uh Eastern European office, we have a DC office, and then uh you know, t- we've got team members m- mostly a-, a contingent in the United States, but we have some in Canada, we have some in South America, and uh like I said, we have that Eastern European office as well.
0: Nice. Yep. Okay, cool. So pretty good size and like all over the place.
1: Well, to me it is because I started it in a coffee shop by myself. And so when I think about the fact that there's like 39, 40, some other people working here is still weird to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So um, in, in that process of going from you in the coffee shop to, to now, 30 or 40 people, what would you say is like one of the, the more ch- difficult, challenging things you went through to to make it to where you are.
1: Man, so many hard things. <laughs> so many hard things. I mean, well, one thing is there there's a lot of referenceable material about the best way to to structure a business operationally, financially, mm-hmm. um, out there, but it's all sort of spread out and a lot of it's sort of a sort of subjective
0: mm-hmm.
1: opinions. There's no, there's no like field guide for how to start a company from scratch. And so you, you run into all these like weird speed bumps that a bit, it does get exhausting in the early days because you're, you, you, you're going to hire your first employee. They're in Ohio. How do I handle the taxes? And like, you mm-hmm. know, and it just, it starts to snowball where there's like, every time you, you reach this new hurdle, you got to figure out, well, what is the normal, like, what's the best practice? And well, everybody has an opinion of what that is, well, <laughs> which, you know? And so you navigating that in the beginning, you, if you're not careful, you, you'll make a lot of expensive mistakes. And I I can't say that we didn't, did not make those. We did make a handful of those. Also, you know, part of the issue with us was issue and or benefit is that we didn't raise a lot of um, sort of venture capital or anything like that. So we didn't have, you know, a VC sitting on our board early on going, this is how you do it. And this is a guy Mm -hmm. that can help you or this person can help you. Um, So we, you know, just a lot of the logistics of, of basic business logistics, like we, you think about it, like you, 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 It's everything. It's like, well, how, where should I incorporate the, the, company and why, and what kind mm. of entity should it be, and how many shares should I issue and why, and what class of shares should they be, and like all of those things. And there's a billion op- opinions on the internet about what those things should be, but mm-hmm. uh, you got to figure it out on your own. <laughs> and that's, that's it's a little bit daunting at first, but uh, we figured
0: yeah. it out. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so all the people listening right now, they're like, "Oh, he's gonna give me, he's gonna be, give me something good." The answer is, go figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do yeah.
1: think, I do, I do think there is room for for somebody to actually. Dra- I, I'm not signing up for it because I'm busy, but like there is room yeah. for somebody to draft some of these best practices. And we we did get feedback for when we did take seed capital. We know, we haven't really done an A round, but we took seed capital. Um, you know, we got feedback that we did it right. You know, nice. like they, they were happy with it. Um, and, and now I, I'm able to like, when my buddies or, or, or friends are about to start a business, I can ask really smart questions to say, okay, that, well, then you need to do it this way, or this is going to, you're going to run into this later and I can help them out. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. You're just a super valuable mentor now, <laughs> or maybe a consultant for hire. Who knows?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got too much going on for that.
1: I got too much, too much, uh, work already, unfortunately, but, uh... yeah.
0: Nice. Okay, cool. So uh, on the flip side of that, then what is one of the things that you're, you're most proud of in your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Well, I mean, we already talked about the, the culture and the team. And culture, I do think yeah. that, that is one of the biggest accomplishments. And like I said, it was hard fought. In the beginning, we, we made some bad hires. Uh, you know, it, well, I say bad. We, we made hires that weren't c- correct for the company. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I'm having a positive outlook on it, You know the upside to all of those is that we every time we did that we learned a lesson, Mm -hmm. and uh, we iterated and we iterated until we figured it out. And it's I mean it's still iterative, but we've got it pretty well dialed in on on how we recruit, uh, who's a good team member and who is not and why, Um, what you know what we're looking for in a candidate across the board. You know from a from a character perspective and things like that. And some of those things are hard to to net out, but we've we've got a process that seems to be working pretty well. Um on top of that, you know, the 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 company is for for its size, is a you know very successful and capable multinational company with some of the biggest brands and governments in the world as customers. And Mm -hmm. we do that with a very small number of people uh who are just mission driven. That's and that's all part of the culture. We punch way above our weight class for our size and capitalization. Nice. (laughs) And uh you know, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the the team and and people want to work for us. So we've got a reputation of, you know, people wanting to come work here because it's such a cool place to work. And that's, that's awesome. And I can't take, I can't take personal credit for it because I have an executive team that helps. Uh, In fact, maybe I should take responsibility for the early screw ups when I didn't have that team and I had the wrong people. (laughs) And then we kind of, we worked through it, but uh, I got a great team.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you still get some—you get some credit because you—you started it. You created that executive team, right?
1: Well, yeah, I drew the short straw. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's it's funny. It's funny people—people say you know, like make a comment like, "Oh, but you're the CEO," and I was like, "Yeah, I made this job up." Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) like nobody interviewed me for this. I didn't get nominated or 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 elected into office. This. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. but But, that's uh, still super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, since you have gone through this process of lessons of finding people, what are some of the characteristics that you guys have identified that you want to see in hiring a good person?
1: Uh, So humility, uh, you know, their their character and integrity are are, are key. Um, Actually, there's a really good book that I recommend, uh, and I will warn you when when you look at you're you're going to look at the book and you're going to go, "Oh, this is one of those nerdy self-helpy books," because that's how I looked at it. Uh-huh. And then I read it and I was like, actually, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's called The Speed of Trust, and it's by Stephen M. R. Covey, who is the son of Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits. Okay. It's called the Speed of Trust. Um, they they break down uh, characteristics of trust for for an individual between two individuals into four categories, and it's mm-hmm. in, intent, integrity, capabilities, and results. Mm. And so we, we've kind of built a, a program around checking those um, cool. because what trust allows you to do, and that's the the illusion in the book, Speed of Trust, what trust allows you to do is move quickly. So like if 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 one of my staff says, Curtis, I got this, no look pass. I don't mm. have to worry about it because yeah. I know, I trust them. It, I trust all four pillars. Like they're capable, <laughs> their results are great, they have a tremendous integrity, and they have pure intent. Um, and so and so those those are the kind of metrics that we look at, you know, and we, tr- we have different ways to kind of feel people out to see where they fall. Uh, and some of those are like, they don't have to be hundred percent. You know, we may be hiring for a job where their current capabilities are not up to speed. Um, but the the main ones that, you know, intent, integrity, those aren't really fixable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So
1: those are the main ones. You got to get past those first. And the other ones is like, look, are are they are they people who are self-aware and and and, and ego willing to willing to learn uh and be humble um in the process is is really what we're looking for. Yeah. It's definitely attitude over aptitude, you know, is a, another simple way to put it for for a lot of the staff that we're hiring. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I I think that's yeah, that's the only way to go. But I if you don't mind sharing if it's not trade secret, like how are you st- Testing for that because I feel like that's really hard to do in a short like interview hiring process. Like, what what ways have you come up with?
1: Well, part of it is um, we do a little bit of to the extent that we can. not So we have a we have a kind of a normal filtering process because, for example, if if we if we posted a job for our, our what we call MSIC, the Managed Security Intelligence Center that's our analyst team mm-hmm. we get hundreds of applicants almost immediately. So we okay. have a process to sort of work through those programmatically but once we get it down to a manageable number of candidates that we'd like to talk to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the extent that we can, we do, and each one of my departments does it a little bit differently, but the idea is you do sort of a, I like to say you try before you buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is we, we basically engage with the candidates on a short project. It's expensive okay. for us to do this. Um, and it, 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 tests a lot of things It one, you know, just the interaction of, uh, the working with our team and, and you can really tell a lot about a person, you know, just, just in a day-to-day work environment where they're trying to solve a new problem, Mm -hmm. how they handle those things, how they interact with team, how they communicate all of that. But also um, it also is an indicator of, of, you know, do you, do you really want this job? Do you you just want a job or do you want this job? Because (laughs) you're not going to do extra homework uh, if you don't, Want this job, right? And and so people sort of self-select out, and then we get it down to a, a manageable pool. Um, each one of my team leads for each department has different sort of ethos. Like I don't prescribe this to them; they different different sort of uh, uh, programs that they use to to test the sort of character of, of folks. Um, but they do a great job.
0: Nice. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Just bring them in part-time and see how they do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, and, you know, we can see really early usually, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time with somebody to say like, this is probably not our person. Um, and it doesn't mean they're a bad person it's just not a right person for us. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, you bring somebody in for an, for an interview and they're going to put on a, a bit of a persona and a face, but then when you stick them in and you ask them to solve problems that are challenging, that's a Total right. game on and, scenario. And usually
1: those, depending on the department, those, those particular projects are, uh, our exec team is not involved. They're not being managed. They're working directly with one of our team members that, that would be their peer mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the role. And so, the, you know, that's a different dynamic than an interview, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Okay. So um, on this podcast, I've been asking this since day one. And the question is, what makes you feel alive? And I already kind of know you have multiple strings there, but then, so start with wherever you want, but then finish with uh, your, your nonprofit because I want to hear about that too. Oh,
1: sure. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's there's a bunch of different ways to answer that question on a personal yeah. level. <clears throat> I, I just like uh, generally, and this is going to be, you probably heard this before, <laughs> maybe it's cliche, but I, I do generally like to add value everywhere I can, <laughs> mm-hmm. both pers- personally and professionally. If I think I can help, um, someone out, I I, I do it, and almost to a fault to where I'm oversubscribed most of the time. Mm. Uh, but but I'm also very keen on what I promise, I do deliver. So I don't over I don't overpromise and under deliver. I know when I'm hitting the wall, and I have to back off on 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 volunteering. But I do like to add value. You know, uh, uh, physical fitness is a huge thing for me too. So that is my most important meeting of the day is, is my workout mm. <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. And I prioritize that because without that, I, I have, uh, it makes my day harder. I have a hard, you know, a hard time staying focused and, and even, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm more likely to, to get anxious if I don't do my work, <laughs> my workout in the morning. So that makes me feel alive. Um, uh, you know, my motorcycling that's mm. motorcycling across the country by yourself in a helmet where you're doing like 800 thousand mile days, you know, camping in BLM land by yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, um, there's something about, there's something Zen about that. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of things to think about in your helmet when you're riding, you know, 15 hours or something like that in a day on a motorcycle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Are you listening to music or podcasts or just nothing? I I vary it
1: sometimes I do sometimes, but I I often do like one of my bikes is a, is an old, it's a, it's a K it's a, what they call a BMW K100 RS. It's a 1987. And that bike has no windshield. And I ride that across the country and you couldn't hear a podcast if you wanted to. It's (laughs) loud. I've ridden that across the country three times and you just listen to the wind.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So that's a lot of time to your a lot of time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but but like you said at the end, so what, one of the things that we've been doing a group since is you know, we've become well known for our ransomware response programs. I've become well known for being a liaison between the ransomware victim and the bad guys. Usually they're uh, you know in Eastern Europe or Russia. And uh, when we first started doing it, we, almost all of the cases that were brought to us were brought to us by either a, a law firm that had a breach sort of practice or a cyber insurance company. And so the profile of the victims that were being brought to us were pretty big. They were pretty big companies. And then uh, one of the law firms brought us a case um, like in October of 20, and and the the lawyer there said, hey, I'm about to bring you a new victim. And uh, they went to your website and it doesn't say you do this anywhere. (laughs) And we never really advertised that we did it. It's a long story how we ended up in this business. But uh, so I was like, okay, fine. I'll put something on the website. And as soon as I did that, like snap of a finger, a whole new profile of victims started showing up. And it's basically everybody else, people who didn't have law firms, who didn't have cyber insurance. And it ranged from anything from like a couple hundred million dollar like construction company all the way down to like a print shop. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, on the lower end of that spectrum, a lot of those companies couldn't even afford group census fees, which Mm -hmm. are entirely reasonable in my opinion. But like, if you're a print shop, you don't have a whole lot of money to begin with. And so um, I started doing a lot of these, Pro bono. Okay. And the other thing that happened was um, we we as as a result of doing all these cases, we learn how the threat actors gain access, and it's mostly preventable. <laughs> so So okay. it's sort of heartbreaking to talk to these small businesses who are going to have to lay their employees off if we didn't solve this by Wednesday, or you know, these crazy things were happening to these people, and um, and I, it was heartbreaking because they they could have stopped it. And so one of the things I started doing is on my road trips for work, I would volunteer at chambers of commerce, at universities, at tech centers, and give these talks where I would teach small businesses how to avoid being a ransomware victim. Like here are the five things you can do. And here and actually it evolved from a talk to a, to a training where I would actually do, like show them how to do it. Here's how you do these things, how, how you make these changes. And that sort of snowballed on me and then he started asking for more of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and, bet. Uh, <laughs>
1: I, I started working with a university here locally in Colorado where we're working on, it's nascent, but we're working on a program where uh, I'm training the computer science students and, and the, the cybersecurity students on how to help small businesses make those changes. Mm. They will get school credit and get paid to do so. Um, and so it helps with the cyber skills gap problem, but it also helps Main Street from, you know, the bad guys in Russia. And... If, that, if we get that all dialed in, and we will, it'll just take a little bit, um, then we're going to try to syndicate that to other universities to do for their local communities as well. And we're putting that all under a 501c3. I've also got some corporate sponsors, not ready to announce them yet, but we, we've got some big corporate sponsors who are, who are going to help uh bankroll some of this. And then I've got a bunch of other folks like myself who've been ro- involved in the ransomware business who can do these talks. And so we're going to start spreading it out. And uh, so it's great. And hopefully we'll... Prevent. So when when I talk, I I gave a talk at um, Black Hat, and with a bunch of policy folks from the government. And one of the things I was frustrated about was they were really focused when they talked about policy for ransomware or cyber uh, defense. They're really focused on the ones you hear about in the news, like these really big companies. Mm-hmm. And when they always they use the word critical infrastructure. It just flows right out their tongue. Like we need to protect critical infrastructure. And I, I agree. I I do agree that that should be a priority. However. I think what they're losing sight of is, you know, that small businesses make up almost half the U.S. economy and more than half the jobs. And so my argument is, you know, collectively, they're probably critical infrastructure and we should pay attention. And and I just noticed that nobody was paying attention. So that's why I started the the nonprofit.
0: Yeah, man, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I see all that time. Because I
1: need more work, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not enough going on, but th- I think there is a really cool thing uh, that you mentioned, which is you actually intentionally create space for yourself fairly regularly with your like physical fitness and your motorcycle riding to allow your brain to like come up with these cool ideas, right? Because a lot of the time we're just so in the thing all the time we never like step out to like then see what else is there.
1: I- I'm, um, I'm laughing because. I'm not doing as good a job of that as I should I should oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm I am getting criticism from my team that I need to I need to dedicate more of time like you just said uh, than I am but uh I think that'll that'll come about in a bit once we get this nonprofit sort of on 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 rails, I think uh, I'll have more more time and I, I am still doing a lot of pro bono work. it's not even part of the nonprofit, so I do ransomware cases uh for free for you know. I probably do two or more a week on average. Um, okay. That's about all I can handle. Yeah. Unfortunately. So yeah.
0: Nice. Well, I'm super glad there's people like you out there in the world because I have no clue about any of this stuff. And I know there's tons of people that don't either. So I'm glad you're out there doing it's weird.
1: It's a weird world. Uh, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're literally, you know, you're helping these, these small businesses. So you're, you're looking at it from two lenses. One, you've got the victim who, is in a really bad way especially when you're talking about these small businesses um they might go out of business it might be the family owned business that they've had for you know decades and it's all at risk um then you've got these bad guys who are operating in, usually in Russia primarily in Russia with amnesty from, from unofficial amnesty from the government so we're not going to be able to arrest them there's no negative consequences for their behavior and they don't really care about who their target so like if their target is a we had you know hospitals and you know Cancer mm-hmm. charities and you know just, they just they don't care uh there's no empathy and so it's uh it's a weird it's a weird situation
0: yeah, for sure, man awesome well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today, Curtis, and yeah. sharing your story. It's really cool to hear all the things that you're doing every i just i love this this is so fun podcasting is so fun I just get to meet the coolest people <laughs>
1: well I appreciate the opportunity it's nice to meet you and, and thanks for being flexible flexible on the scheduling as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no problem. So, uh, where can people come get in contact with you, find out more about what you're up to?
1: You can uh, go to groupsense.io for the for, for GroupSense's uh, sort of core focus and mission. Uh, you can go to curtisminder.com to learn about me. It has a little bit about my my uh, public speaking, about my trainings. It has a little bit about the nonprofit on there, but it also has stuff on my fitness and my motorcycling. So you can learn all about the nerdy. Motorcycling stuff as well, if you want.
0: <laughs> great, great. Okay, cool. And then, is there anything that you would love to just one last nugget of wisdom you'd love to leave our audience with?
1: Um, try to do something different because I get the, I do get asked that a lot. So let me do something different. Uh, when when you're when you're facing a huge challenge, space like you just mentioned, giving it a little space, don't react, respond. Everything tends to work out. <laughs> mm. Everything tends to work out if you just give it a little space. And you know, I, I, I I'm I'm not a hypocrite here. There's almost a daily basis where I feel like like the world is going to end for some reason or another. And I'm trying <laughs> to learn to keep giving it space, giving it time, and it, and eventually everything works out. And uh, especially when you're starting a company, you're going to do that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I think that's spot on because if you think about your past. And where you are now, has there ever been a time when it didn't kind of work itself out? Maybe not the right. way you thought, but yeah, right. You're the, here the, now. There's,
1: there's always the there's always that old trick where you like pause and you go, okay, look at this objectively and go, will I even remember this has happened in five years from now? Because if the answer is no, you need to settle down a little bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. That's yeah. perfect. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Curtis.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Sacrifice to Success podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please check out the link in the show notes and you can find all of the details there. If you got something out of this interview, would you please take a moment to share on social media? You can just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to somebody or post it on the socials. Let's see if we can change the narrative of social media and post valuable, positive content. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. So to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please go ahead and subscribe. The thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and they mean a lot to me. If you'd like to know more, go to my website, davidweavercoach.com or you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Those links are also in the show notes. And I do also have a free training on my website as well. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.